You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for tuning in on this sad morning. Of course, the news of the day is the deaths of five Dallas police officers at the hands of an apparent sniper uh, who took shots at them during a Black Lives Matter protest in that city last night. Of course, the protest was convened to push back against the killing of two unarmed, or not unarmed, but two black men by by police officers in the days prior. Two killings that fall right into the line of uh, the recorded police killings that we have seen for several years now. Of course, they are not new, but the recordings of them, our witness to them is new, and that is changing the dynamic of the conversation about race and racism. It is changing the dynamic of the conversation about race and the police force, the relationship between police officers and the people they are paid to protect and serve who happen to be African-American. The strain there, I think, is at an all-time high in America. We're going to spend the hour today talking about what happened in Dallas last night, talking what happened, talking about what happened in the days prior that led to the protest in Dallas yesterday. There are other marches and peaceful demonstrations happening all over the country because of this. And I want to know what you feel about this. What do you think about this? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? Police officers are now the target of some maniac who decides that that's the way to to deal with uh, police killings of African-Americans. As I said in the essay, is there anything more perverse? How do you take a peaceful movement's message and warp it to those kinds of violent ends? We're going to talk all morning about this, and then we're going to get back to NPR coverage, which is also focused on this this morning. And you can join us, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Joining me now to talk about this issue is Sergeant Dwayne Gill, who is a, a, a member of the Michigan State Police Force. He's been a guest here on Detroit Today before, uh, and he has a lot to say about this issue, the relationship between blacks and the police force. Uh, I should make it clear that Sergeant Gill is speaking as a private citizen. He's not speaking on behalf of the Michigan State Police, but his thoughts are really incisive about how all this works, how all of this is not working, and what we ought to do. Sergeant Gill, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Thank you so much. And I really... I really enjoyed your uh, essay at the uh, beginning of the show, and I think that you put a lot of things in a focus. Uh, I have been very conflicted as of late about what's going on in our country, um, uh, the relationship between the police officers and the community. And me being a police officer for the past 25 years, I, I've always, uh, for many years, suffered conflict because I, too, I wake up black every day, okay? This is how I wake up in the morning. I look like this. I look like my community. This is one of the reasons why I serve my community. But and I and then I love my brothers in blue. I mean, they have to have my back, and I have to have theirs as well. And I think that what happened in Dallas is you put it into such a good perspective by saying that it 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 was a perverse gunman to do something like this at a peaceful movement while police officers were out there protecting them so that they can express their right of free speech. And that's what we do on a daily basis. And uh, I feel conflicted. 
because uh, as a as an African American, I don't like what I've seen in the recordings. I don't like seeing uh, people shot and killed uh, when for no reason. And I think a lot of it, unfortunately, has to do with fear, um, fear of of African Americans. Uh, fear of not knowing uh, the community, fear of not being a part of that community. And that's why uh, I like to lead the charge and try to make my department that I'm a part of more diverse. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, talk about what it's like when you are with just other officers uh, at MSP and you talk about these things. I mean, I, I would imagine that, that police are discussing the things that we're seeing on our phones and on television and on our computer screens just as much as everybody else. And I'm really curious about how it looks from that side. Of course, in Dallas uh, today, it looks different than it does most days. And and we can't say enough about how tragic that is or send enough prayers to people in Dallas. But, But when you're talking with other officers here, what what do you feel from them? What do they say about what's happening and what responsibility they feel to do it differently? And do they feel helpless or fearful about this dynamic and the way that it seems to be headed? Well, I think that especially in my and and where where I li- where I work at, I mean, we have some superb training, we have superb leadership. Uh, we have uh, superb people. Uh, you don't see a lot of the things that take place around the country out of, out of our agency, and I think that we're very, very fortunate to have such a professional police force like we do here in Michigan. We have outstanding training standards. Um, and as far as the, the locker room talk, it's, it's, it's about just making sure that we do the right thing. It's about making sure that we serve the community and that we and that we be guardians of the people's rights and not necessarily warriors. I mean, we have to be warriors when we have to, just like the police officers in Dallas. I mean, they stepped up last night. They were warriors. They were doing it right. But we need. They were also guardians of the people's rights, and I think that those are the things that that our leadership and my department instills within us you know, service with a purpose, you know, and, and to be uh, guardians of the community. And, and, and that, I mean, we, some of us, I'm sure they're down. I'm sure they're down. They don't want to get picked on. I think they feel that their lives matter as well as everyone else's. But at the end of the day, everybody wants to go home at the end of the shift. But I also think as far as that philosophy goes, I think that everybody should go home. I think that innocence should go home at the end of the shift as well. So um, those, those are the things that we talk about. It's just being safe and making sure that we always do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDETM. Stephen Henderson, my guest, is Sergeant Dwayne Gill, uh, who works for the Michigan State Police. Uh, he's also a, a comic. Uh, yeah. And uh, we had him on the show uh, about a month ago to talk about that that. A dichotomy between being a cop and being a comic. Of course, today we're talking about a much more somber subject, the shootings of five police officers in Dallas, uh, the killings of five police officers in Dallas, and, of course, the events that led up to that, two black men, one in Minnesota, one in Louisiana, 
shot to death uh, without apparent provocation by police, uh, an incident that we are seeing more and more of in the news. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, we're talking all hour about this relationship between the African-American community and police, about race and racism, about history and the way that it informs this dialogue, these events. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Desmond in Pontiac, you're up first. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Thank uh-huh. you. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to leave a commentary on the state of the Negro in America. Uh-huh. Go ahead. You know, um, we are all children of this great nation. And as all children do, we scrabble to feel that full embrace of our great American mother, to fill our bellies with the wealth of her bounty. But for the Negro in this day... Our mother has grown neglectful, and her milk has long since soured to our tongues. In our rejection, we have grown full upon the indolence and disdain of our brethren to our plight, while we continue to hold out our arms, awaiting an embrace that likely will never come. Yeah, Desmond, that's very moving. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you called and read that to us. Uh, I mean, I, I think, Desmond, you're reflecting a lot of the way that African-Americans feel right now. I mean, I, I, I think it's hard to feel any other way about America. But, but before I let you go, Desmond, tell me, tell me what gives you any hope today. What, uh, tell me what you're looking at that says America can be okay, African-Americans can be okay in America, that we're moving in the right direction. The, the, energy, the energy of uh, the youth, in the black community, uh, you know, seeing my peers uh, who, you know, coming up, we really didn't get too excited about too many things, unless it was Facebook, Instagram, or Snapchat. Um, and now I see these social media platforms being the engine for change, for social justice, uh, invigoration. So that that's one one glimmer of hope I can see in this very dark situation. Yeah, yeah. Desmond, I really appreciate uh, you calling in and, and sharing those comments with me and the listeners. Uh, let's go to Aaron in Detroit. Aaron, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Hi. Uh, yeah, first of all, I want to make sure that everybody knows how, how I feel, how tragic it really is that because uh, nobody wants to live in a country where... Uh, the police are, are who are to protect us are are being victimized. But you know, I want to. I, I, I lived through the '60s. I, I lived through that turmoil and how things were and how we uh, had to eventually go go apart to come back together. And I'm hoping that this is a beginning because we have to think of the mindset of the young man who who did that. What kind of hopeless state of perception was he in to think that that was the only way to get uh, some recourse? When we get to a point where citizens believe that things are so hopeless that they have to turn against that which is there to protect them, what state are we really in? And maybe now, even though it's tragic, even though the loss of life is ridiculous and and useless, but maybe that can be a catalyst to start 
the uh, conversation that can really solve our issues. We need to talk about the real core problems that our Constitution and everything in our laws make us as African Americans feel we're not valued and that we can be uh, disposed of without any uh, consequences. Yeah. And that's sad. Yeah. Aaron, uh, th- as always, uh, thanks very much for uh, for calling and and sharing your thoughts. Uh, Dwayne Gill, uh, sergeant on the uh, Michigan State Police, talk about what we just heard from the, from those listeners. I mean, I hear despair, I hear a little bit of disappointment, I hear sort of that historical letdown uh, from Aaron in particular. That for him, this doesn't look like progress in some ways compared to the 1960s when things were, were like this and, and awful and in our faces as African-Americans were standing up uh, for basic rights. Right. Uh, what does that look like on the other side of that blue line? Well, you know, I, 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 I empathize with them, you know, because I definitely have, I have some of those feelings. I have the exact same feelings, too. I mean, I, I, I am a, I'm a black man first, you know, and, and I feel as though uh, I, the, 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 the anger and the hurt and despair that they feel. But I also feel as though, as a, as a police officer, that people like me and people in my position have to step up and make sure that we do better and that we and that we definitely are like I said before the guardians of the community and that we value uh, all of our citizens whether black or white that we that we value them all and uh and again um I you Stephen you got to agree with me I don't think we see a lot of this going on in in our state and we're very fortunate and I think that unfortunately in some of the other places where it has been happening that is is due to uh, fear, lack of training, and poor leadership. Yeah. I, I I think that those are the three elements that you can that you can um, um, that you can place your finger on right away to see where some of those things are happening. You know, yeah. um, and and but I do I empathize I I agree and and I hear you and uh, and we must do better. Yeah, you know, you, you talk about fear when I watch the tape particularly of what happened in Baton Rouge uh-huh. and watch the officers reacting uh, to this man that they're trying to uh, subdue. It is fear that uh-huh. I hear in their voices. It is fear that you sort of read in the pitch of what they're saying and in the panic that uh, that's all over them in yeah, that situation. Yeah, and it is. And unfortunately, uh, you know, when you do become a police officer, um, you, have to be, you have to have courage. Number one, you have to have courage. You have to, if you're not able or willing to place your life on the line or give your life in, in, in protection of someone else, you don't need to be a cop. You need to, to be a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor or a radio show host. You know? <laughs> a lot uh, safer, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Run a paper. Yeah. But when you take on, when you take that oath, you know, you, you, and I've been a Marine as well, you're ready to give your life. But again, you have to exercise good judgment. You have to be able to engage your mouth and communicate with people before you go to fatal force. Now, I've, I was a troop in Detroit for many years. I never had to pull, well, I've, I've pulled my weapon before, but I never had to, to shoot at anyone, you know, and I've taken down some really bad people. I've been in some bad situations, but I tell you right now, my communication skills have gotten me out of bad situations a lot more than me having to go to, to using a weapon, yeah. you know. Right. And I think that's what we lack. I think we lack a lot of that. And that, again, that comes to training. And that, again, that comes to leadership. 
you know. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Gill, uh, sergeant with the Michigan State Police, uh, here talking as a private citizen. Uh, thank you very much for being here on Detroit Today. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And when is, your, uh, when is your next comedy appearance? Well, you're actually, gonna... I'm in uh, right now I'm in uh, Rocky Gap, Maryland. I'm getting ready to go to Cleveland for the uh, weekend. I got shows over in Cleveland. And then, uh, believe it or not, next week I'm actually going down to the Republican National Convention to help out with security. Oh, oh so, I'll yeah. see there. That's right. A lot of uh, Michigan State Police officers officers are being dispatched to help with that. And I'm so, one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for being here this morning. Hey, thanks, Stephen. I hope it was. I hope it went well. Thank yes. you. Uh, up next, we're going to continue our discussion about violence and race in America and take your call. Stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019. Tom in Northwest Detroit, Dennis in Detroit, Jeff in Detroit, Antonio in Hazel Park. We will get to you. And if you want to join the conversation, get in the line. 313-577-1019 is the number. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. We are talking this hour about the events in the news this morning. Five officers shot dead in Dallas overnight during a Black Lives Matter protest. It follows uh, two incidents of of police killing black males, uh, apparently without provocation. Uh, Two incidents in a long line of videotaped killings of African Americans by police that has changed the discussion about race and policing in America has changed the dynamic, I believe, between African Americans and the police. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. And I am joined now by Neeraj Waraku, who is a religion reporter at the Detroit Free Press, uh, writes about religion and other cultural issues here in Southeast Michigan. Neeraj, Welcome to Detroit Today. Good to be here, Stephen. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I want to start this segment with a clip from President Obama, who was uh, speaking about what happened in Dallas very early this morning. Let's take a listen. I will have more to say about this as the facts become more clear. Uh, For now, let me just say that uh, even as yesterday I spoke about our need to be concerned as all Americans about racial disparities in our criminal justice system. I also said yesterday that our police have an extraordinarily difficult job, and the vast majority of them do their job in outstanding fashion. I also indicated the degree to which we need to be supportive of those officers who do their job each and every day protecting us and protecting our communities. Today is a wrenching reminder of the sacrifices that they make for us. We also know that when people are armed with powerful weapons, unfortunately it makes attacks like these more deadly and more tragic. And in the days ahead, we're going to have to consider those realities as well. That was President Obama speaking early this morning about what happened last night in Dallas, the attacks on police officers during a Black Lives Matter uh, rally. 
Also tying in lots of other things, right? Talking about this series of video recorded events of police killing African Americans, about the inequalities that are baked into the criminal justice system, and talking about guns, the proliferation of guns in our society. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Neeraj Waraku, religion reporter at the Detroit Free Press. We are talking all hour about what happened in Dallas last night, what happened in Minnesota and Louisiana in the days before, and the narrative strain between police and African Americans in this country. It is getting worse, uh, and we are seeing more and more about how it plays out, what the dynamic looks like, and I believe we are being called to a reckoning and to action. Uh, if you want to join us, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, Neeraj, let's start with your reaction to what this week has been. We were going to have you in just to talk about the news in general terms this week. Boy, uh, that really has taken a turn into the very specific and the very disturbing. Right. I mean, the horrible uh, shooting last night of five officers. I mean, the worst attack on police since 9-11, just a tremendous tragedy. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely going to, unfortunately, uh, increase to the divide. Um, you know, in Dearborn, I've been covering uh, these two police shootings of two African-Americans from Detroit by Dearborn police officers. And after that happened, the city, the residents in the city actually rallied in favor of the police and uh, there, there wasn't really sort of a discussion about these issues. And now when you have the Dallas shooting, it's going to make it even harder. So when you go into places like the suburbs around Detroit, a lot of times they don't want to have the discussions about the issues of profiling or inequities in the criminal justice system. And that can further increase to the divide. Um, but hopefully we can still have these discussions even after what happened last night. Uh, but on both sides, you know, America's been divided already, but... Uh, We'll see how this plays out in the coming weeks. When you talk about divisiveness, uh, your beat at the at the Free Press is religion. That means covering uh, two significantly large uh, ethnic and and religious communities here in in Southeast Michigan, the Jewish community and the Muslim community. Uh, I, I always wonder when we talk about race and racial dis- divisiveness, how it plays. Uh, for other communities that that have their own divides, have their own uh, cultural tensions here in in Southeast Michigan and around the country. What are you hearing from the communities you cover about things like this? Yeah, I mean, well, as America becomes more diverse, you know, it goes beyond, you know, sort of uh, only uh, white and black relations. You know, in Dallas, you obviously have a huge uh, Mexican-American community um, and other parts of the countries. And I know there's been a lot of talk also about the issue of diversity in law enforcement. Uh, I know that the uh, Canton police chief had talked last year about uh, trying to increase the percentage there of minorities. Um, and as more folks, you know, live in the suburbs uh, and the suburbs become diverse, I think there's a concern that we we want to make sure the uh, percentage are representative in Dearborn. That's been an issue with the Arab American police officers. You know, Arab Americans are now about to make up almost half the community, but there's still a very small percentage of officers, And but they're making efforts there to do that, and it's also hard to recruit sometimes. Some groups may not want to join the place as much, um, but, you know, these, these are things that are important as we uh, become a changing nation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got lots of people on the phones want to join this conversation. Uh, let's go to Margaret in Ferndale. Margaret, welcome to Detroit Today. 
You there, Hello? Margaret? Yep. Uh huh. Yes. Uh, Go thank ahead. you for the opportunity to speak. Sure. This was a week or two after the uh, so-called riots. My brother was a railroader, and he took the Wyoming bus all the way down to Schoolcraft, but he fell asleep. And he heard this commotion. He woke up, and he saw these three punks harassing an old black man. He was sitting in the back of the bus, terrified. My brother got up and told him to leave him alone. And they asked him like they were going to hit my brother, and he said, well, go ahead. If you want to hit me, go ahead. I have boxing trophies from Catholic Central, and I'll mop the floor with you. And then he said to them, uh, they had buttons on the side of the pants. By the way, how do you urinate? And everybody started laughing on the bus. But the bus driver and none of the people said a word, and this poor old man was scared to death. And we need to speak up. If we see somebody being mistreated or abused, and you know that they're doing something wrong, tell them, hey, just stop that. Because why are you antagonizing an elderly man like that? Well, the, I mean, you're, you're getting to the sort of courage of speaking back to uh, authority or, or anybody who is, who is misbehaving. And that's really key to, to what we're seeing this week, Margaret. I want to thank you for the call and the comments. I mean, if you think about it, Nurge, the, 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 the courage to videotape what was happening in Louisiana uh, and particularly what was happening in Minnesota. I mean, you have the girlfriend of the victim uh, watching as her boyfriend dies, but having the presence of mind to be recording it and broadcasting it live on Facebook at the same time. I mean, I can't, I can't fathom what that felt like for her or what it took for her to keep focus even enough to be able to do that. Yeah, it was extraordinary, and she had the four-year-old child in in the back too, right. you know, with her poise and that, and also being polite. She kept referring to the officer as sir. She never got heated. It was just uh, amazing. Um, and then they order out of the car. Um, as meanwhile, he's ble- bleeding uh, over there, and you know he's not getting any first aid. Um, but uh, you know, one thing I forgot about the issue of. Um, you know, speaking up to authority, as you were saying, you know, uh, the Detroit uh, former Detroit Police Chief uh, Godby yesterday made some really interesting remarks urging minorities in law enforcement to speak up, uh, particularly African-Americans. He said that they have an obligation to speak up against these abuses um, and they should be more vocal about it um, because they're in a unique position as being police officers as well as African-Americans and they get it on, on sort of both ends. Um, but, you know, his comments were pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Dennis in Detroit. Dennis, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, good. I've been holding for 16 minutes, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make it real quick. First of all, what happened in Dallas was tragic, tragic uh-huh. and the shooter was definitely a coward. Um, however, I, I think his anger, though not justified, maybe is understood because I think when I think about that, I think about the Palestinians in Israel and the things that they do. I think he acted out of a sense of maybe hopelessness. Yeah. Um, my second thought is. Yeah. That well, Dennis, hold on. Before I before we get to that second thought, I want to I want to focus a little on that first thought. I think that's okay. I think that 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 is okay. I mean, there, this is a really difficult thing to talk about because you need a lot of nuance and you need a lot of specific sort of discussion about different parts of our history and cultural dynamics to really understand what's going on. Nobody, I don't think there is anybody in the in, in the country who is cheering what happened in Dallas to those officers. Of course not. 
That's not okay, as I said in the opening of the show. But it's the context in which these shootings take place. It's the history that leads up to this place where we have this tremendous strain between police and African Americans. It's the it's the 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 connections between what we're having to watch and endure now and what African Americans have dealt with for centuries that leads up to it. And so the anger that this person was expressing wildly inappropriate and and condemnable at the same time i think a lot of other african americans feel that same frustration and anger and don't know what to do now this is not the way to do it but i think people are at a loss for what they should be doing and so dennis i'm really glad you called and made that point now go uh, go ahead to your second point second point you mentioned at the beginning about the history and you know during the 60s maybe the 50s and the 60s, a lot of the killings of blacks, African-Americans, were done by police. Um, I think of, I think his name was Bull McConnell, who was famous for the injustices that he did. So my thought is this. I mean, I'm 52. I've lived through the Bushes. I've lived through Clinton. I've lived through Reagan. And we didn't hear about any of this. And it seems like all of this kind of blew up when Barack Obama became the president. And and I hope I'm wrong. (laughs) But... Do you think maybe when he got elected, that was like, you know, that the proverbial cat was out of the bag and that some of this maybe on some deep psychological level is, is you know, yeah. racism or, or revenge because we have a black president? Yeah, I don't I don't know, Dennis. I mean, I, 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 I really don't know the answer to that. I will say that one of the things I think is, is happening here is that we are seeing a lot more of what happens because everybody's got a cell phone and on that cell phone there's a video camera and it's really easy to record what you see in an instant uh, and then preserve it forever. I, I'm not sure that our seeing is reflective of an increase in those incidents so much as it is a, a sort of curtain raising, right? These are things that I think have been going on uh, in black communities uh, for forever, uh, and they have not, they didn't go away after the 50s and 60s. They may have decreased in number, but certainly the the, the, the narrative tension, again, between African Americans and the, the, the people who police them have always been there. And so now what we're, what we're seeing is uh, what that looks like when those two uh, opposite sort of uh, interests clash, and and so often it's it's ending in in black people being killed. It is not it is not terribly different from uh, as I point out in the Free Press this morning from what happened when when uh, Emmett Till was killed in 1955. That uh, lots of people had been denying the fact that lynching and sort of mob violence against African Americans was prevalent in the South and saying, well, you know, maybe you hear about that every once in a while, but it's not something that happens all the time. Uh, when when people saw uh, what happened to Emmett Till in the, in the visage of his battered face, it, it changed the way they thought about it. Did, did that mean that lynchings were on the rise at that point? I'm not sure. It did mean that recognition of what was happening uh, was was right in front of people's faces and something they couldn't then deny. And I think we may be at a similar moment here uh, in 2016 with these police killings. Dennis, I want to thank you very much uh, for your call. Uh, let's go to Vince in Lake Orion. Vince, welcome. Good to morning. Detroit How are today. you? Sure. Great. Uh, yeah. 
I was uh, doing a job uh, for a gentleman, and he was a career police officer. He was a retired um, deputy, sheriff's deputy. And we were talking about this stuff, and I and he told me something that kind of blew my mind. He told me that it was a generational thing. He said that when him and I grew up, we used to work it out on the playground, fisticuffs. He said that we've got a generation of people that are being trained uh, and they're out there as police officers. And he said, this is exactly his quote, and they've never been punched in the nose, and that's the most terrifying thing in the world to them. Yeah. And, and I just thought, wow. I mean, he thought... He he's of the uh, of the thought that they they go for their gun to you know they're not trigger happy but they're willing to protect themselves a little more zealously than he would have yeah. you know he 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 would physically confront someone whereas yeah. these he says this generation of cops now they want to get their gun yeah yeah well and that Vince that goes to to training and experience I mean those are the two things that I think are going to come really sharply into focus behind what happened in Minnesota and, and Louisiana when we look at the number of years that those officers had on the force. It was pretty low. Uh, what were they told? How were they trained to deal with uh, you know, somebody who is resisting or, or deal with somebody who looks different from you? That's a huge part of police training, or it should be. Uh, Vince, thank you very much. For that call, Nearj uh, Waraku, oh. the training issue is a big deal in Dearborn. I know right. that uh, uh, Chief Haddad has really been focused on that cultural sensitivity uh, and, and understanding that your job as a police officer is to de-escalate most situations. It is not to push it to the point where uh, you're in a confrontation with somebody. Exactly. And that's, you know, the Department of Justice is now coming into Dearborn. Uh, a couple of months ago, they announced that they're going to be here uh, kind of working on those uh, interactions and how you deal with uh, these situations. And, you know, one thing that comes up again when I spoke to Dearborn Mayor was mental health. You know, police officers are in a tough situation because you have a lot of mentally ill people in some of these police uh, officer-involved shootings, and the person may be acting irrationally. Uh, an officer may not know that. And, you know, we've had cutbacks to mental health here in Michigan. And so that, you know, the officer almost has to become sort of a counselor as well. Um, and so how do we deal with that? How And I think that's something that's being dealt with in Dearborn uh, because in those two police shootings of African Americans, both had some mental issues. Now, I know not all the cases obviously deal with mentally ill people, but that's, yeah. that's one factor. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break here. When I come back, I'm going to continue my conversation uh, with Nears Waraku of the Detroit Free Press. We are talking about what happened in Dallas overnight, what happened in the run-up to Dallas, not just in the last few days, but in the last few decades. Stay with us on Detroit Today and stay on the phones, 313-577-1019. Those of you who have been holding, I appreciate it. We will try to get to you. listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. We are talking this hour about the events in Dallas overnight. Five officers shot dead during a Black Lives Matter 
protest in the days before we saw new videos of police killing African-American men, apparently without provocation. We're talking about these incidents and how they change the racial dialogue here in America, how they fit into the larger racial narrative of America, stretching back decades to different darker eras when uh, violence against African-Americans was also a huge issue in the public dialogue. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. My guest is Neeraj Waraku. He is the religion reporter for the Detroit Free Press, uh, writes a lot about religion and culture and other things at the paper. Uh, let's go to Antonio in Hazel Park. Antonio, welcome to Detroit Hi. Today. Uh-huh. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, go ahead. Um, what made me, a thought came to mind um, in seeing all that that's happening and that's going on is a book called Strangers to Ourselves by uh, Timothy Wilson. Uh-huh. He talks about how certain actions uh, can come out of us subconsciously that we don't even realize consciously. Right. And that some things within us are are uh, are not quite as clear unless we, we give more attention to them and study ourselves. And I see here at play, um, at the subconscious level, possibly stereotypes and biases that these police officers have that make them hyper-vigilant and more apt to violence when it comes to African-Americans. Just looking on Facebook the other day, I saw some people posting videos of uh, cops interacting with uh, white criminals, holding weapons in their hands, but they tussle with them and disarm them right. without using any violence, firing off their weapon. But when it comes to African-Americans, it's, they're quick to pull the trigger. And I think there's a fear factor there, as you mentioned, but there's some subconscious things that we need professionals and people to come together to deal with to, to uh, unravel what's going on. There's a core problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it has I it has a lot to do with race, Antonio. I mean, I just I just don't see a way to strip that out of it. And I think you're right that that when you look at the way police deal with other communities, uh, the, the way they deal with with uh, white uh, people in particular, uh, you think about right here in the state of Michigan, uh, every every year we have uh, this sort of open carry day in Lansing when lots of people walk into the Capitol building uh, with guns brandished on their waists or or uh, just in their hands, uh, change the change the photo there and ma- let that be a group of African Americans. Let that be a group of Muslim Americans. How differently would that be responded to? How differently would that be seen uh, and interpreted, not just by uh, average people, but by the police themselves? And that is, I think, as you point out, one of the core problems that we are that we are dealing with. Thank you very much, Antonio, for your call and your thoughts. Let's go to Suzanne in Ypsilanti. Suzanne, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Great show. Thank you. Hey, listen, you know, when we're talking about, um, you know, we've got to have better training of police, that really brings to mind to me, I think it was this Republican activist, Grover Norquist, who said, you know, I want to make government small enough that we can drown it in a bathtub, right? <laughs> so, you know, within the context of that, I think if we have a conversation of, if these are our priorities, 
if we want to right these wrongs in our society, that really has to do, as you said, squarely with racism. You know, what are we willing to invest in, right? Right. So, I mean, I don't want to say, oh, I'm blaming just Republicans, but I'm just saying, you know, this is our attitude that we need to do more with less. But how important are these things to us? And are we willing to invest in that? And I think that that conversation is really what reparations means, right? Which is, let's have a conversation and say, these things are important to us. You know, we cannot keep in a democratic society going, a republic, if we're not willing to invest in it. Right. Right. That's a great that's a great point, uh, Suzanne. And, and it's a really nice connection you're drawing there between the things we're seeing and the and the way that we pay for things like police and police training. Uh, right here in the in the state of Michigan, we have lost hundreds, if not thousands of officers uh, to austerity plans and budget problems over the last uh, decade. How what effect is that having on the way that they're trained? What's that what effect is that having on the experience, the level of experience uh, that we have among the officers who go out every day to protect our communities? Those are those are really important questions and an important part of the conversation we need to be having. So, Suzanne, thank you very much uh, for your call. Uh, again, if you want to join us, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. We're talking about the killings of uh, Dallas police officers last night, the killings of black men by police officers in the previous two days or three days that led up to what happened last night. And, of course, the history of racial tension between African-Americans uh, and those who police them. Let's go to Francis in Detroit. Francis, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thanks uh-huh. for taking my call. Sure. Um, I am almost 72 years old. I am a black woman who believes, as my mother used to believe, that two wrongs never make a right. They never have. They never will. But my concern is, as I truly believe that black lives matter, until black lives matter, the black lives, I'm not sure that other ethnic Groups are going to have respect for us, but I believe the foundation is something that probably the only 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 the Lord can do. Is hearts have to be changed? There has to be love in hearts for for people for people who are different than you are. I think about that scripture in First Corinthians thirteen. I'm just going to say the last part of it. And now these three remain: faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But it bothers me that I, as a a 72-year-old, can't walk down my street after dark because someone of my own race might take me out. Yeah. Uh, Um, Francis... Francis, that is that is a, a really important point, and I'm really glad you called uh, to make it the connection between the devaluing of black life uh, by African Americans and the devaluing of black life by people outside the community. I believe there is a connection. I believe that the devaluation we see in our community comes from the outside. It comes from the history of saying that we were property and not people, uh, of saying that we we could be citizens but not vote, of saying that we could live in communities and not sit at restaurant uh, lunch counters, of saying that uh, if people got angry with us, they 
could round us up uh, and hang us from trees. Uh, that has been internalized, I am afraid, in the black community in ways that play out every day in cities like Detroit, uh, Chicago, Minnesota, uh, Louisiana, all of these places that we're talking about. So thank you very much uh, for that call. Nearest, we've got a, just a couple minutes left. I want to talk about whether we could see some of this spill over locally uh, and, and play out the way it has in other places. This is a, a region that's still healing from a lot of the same wounds that we see being reopened in these other communities. Uh, what's your sense of that? Well, yeah, you know, we have the 50th anniversary of the riots uh, coming up uh, next year, and there's going to be a lot of discussion on that. Um, but I think the good news is that in Metro Detroit, you know, we've worked out these issues before. I mean, you know, police shootings of African-Americans were a big issue in the 60s with the stress unit, you know, and that's what propelled Coleman Young into power. Sure. And he did played a huge role in integrating the police force and promoting diversity. Uh, but then, you know, there was backlash to that, right? You had a lot of resentment. From, from some in the white community fleeing to the suburbs. And so we still have a huge amount of racial segregation. And that's the thing. There's a lot of these broader social issues that are often put on the shoulders of police officers. You know, they're not the ones who created the poverty, the unemployment uh, rates, the segregation. You know, Michigan obviously has some a lot of economic challenges. And so that's not obviously the police department's faults. And so they're put in these tense situations and dealing with race. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think, you know, Detroit Police Department has worked through these issues with the federal uh, consent, uh, you know, uh, overseeing. I think that makes too a now and big difference, right? I mean, the way that, I mean, it was awful, the things that led up to federal supervision of the police here in Detroit. But the time they spent under that federal supervision seems to have made a real difference in the way they deal with, with people, not just in really tense situations, but in in regular situations. Yeah, and the Detroit police are also very good with even like protesters and activists. In fact, yes. the activist community is not anti-police that you may see in other parts of the country. In fact, they'll go out of the way to praise Detroit police saying that they allow us to protest and to rally. Like there's going to be there's going to be a Black Lives Matter protest tonight at 8 p.m. at Campus Martius. And, uh, you know, Detroit police said they'll be there, um, you know, yeah. monitoring it and hopefully everything will be smooth at that event. Yeah. All right. Neeraj Waraku, a religion reporter at the Detroit Free Press. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for being here. All right. That's going to do it for us uh, this week. We will be back next week. I hope you will, too. Uh, this is 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. We'll see you on Monday. Oh,